Hi again, everyone. Welcome back to the Leverage 10 podcast, Inside the Writer's Room. I'm your host, Kayla Dobson, and as always, I'm joined by the executive producers and co-creators of Leverage, John Rogers and Chris Downey. This week, we'll be getting inside the heads of our showrunners as we talk about multiple job disorder, the personality crisis that can arise when one simultaneously wears the executive producer hat and the writer's hat. So to start us off, can you please explain to our listeners what the differences are between being an executive producer, a co-creator, and a showrunner, since both of you have all of these job titles? We do. We do. Co-creator is quite specifically, uh, and, and a lot of people don't know this, the created by credit comes from who writes the pilot script. Okay. Uh, very specifically. You can't just, you can't get a created by credit unless you are one of the writers, which is why a lot of times when you see pilots based on like comics material, mm-hmm. it is based on the material by as a separate credit or okay. based on uh, based on the comedy of. Because unless you type and issue and issue those pages, you ain't, you ain't get that credit. And that's tied very specifically to residuals and other separated uh, rights issues. Um, then uh, executive producer. Well, yeah, I mean, executive producer can mean anything from a showrunner to another writer. Um, mm-hmm. A show I was on before this, King of Queens, was on for nine seasons, and people get um, bumps in title, uh, you know, as the show goes on. And by the end, I think we had twelve executive producers yeah. on oh. the show. And it's worth jump. We'll jump to like the last question you have there, because we'll be able to like well, the question. Uh, Eight because we'll be able to jump in there. We, oh. can, we can segue. We can segue straight to that. So a lot of that. Yeah, a lot of the writers also have titles other than writers. Like you mentioned, there's story editor, co-producer, supervising producer, like you said, executive producer. Yeah. And so, what do all these mean, and what yeah. are the differences? In, are there in differences? the original days of television? They were very specific jobs. Mm-hmm. Uh, story editor was someone who ran the story room and uh, you know supervised the scripts coming in from freelancers because they right. didn't have a big writing staffs on a lot yeah. of one-hour dramas back in the '70s and early '80s. Uh, the big staffs didn't come into like the mid '80s. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I mean Ken Levine, who ran, was one of those uh, showrunners of Mash at like 26. Mm-hmm. Um, was a story editor technically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, they did yeah. have a lot of responsibility for gathering the uh, scripts from freelance writers and and, and then rewriting them, rewriting them. Rewriting them. Yeah, really, they were the, they were what you would consider showrunners. And then producer, co-producer, all the rest of it were just were ri- much more physical producing titles. Okay. As it evolved, those became, as you were looking for ways not to pay writers but to give them more uh, <laughs> for every year, um, those titles became almost like military ranks. Okay. So that when you look at a, a series of credits, unless it's a non-writing producer, uh, like say Rachel Olson or Mark Roskin on our show or something mm-hmm. who have other producing responsibilities, mm-hmm. Uh, you know roughly how long that person has been working on the show, or at least writing for a living. Mm-hmm. You know, it is it is one of those weird quirks. As a matter of fact, of the, of the guild that I brought up last time, we had a guild rep in. Uh, staff writers are not paid for their scripts, oh. because staff writers' jobs are to write. Mm-hmm. Where as soon as you become a story editor or above, technically your job is defined by the guild as no longer just a writer, and you are paid for that script. Okay. So the people who need the money most don't get it, which is really, really <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, the yeah. best. Bro, the WGA hitting them, hitting, hitting it, hitting it hard on that one. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so those, those, those are what those positions are. They are they. You assume more responsibility. Uh, you get more involved with producing your material, producing um, episodes. Uh, most people, a lot of shows, it literally is just rank. It's just how long you've been yeah. there. Yeah, that's what it was on King of Queens. Yeah, and then showrunner is like the dude who takes bad phone calls. Uh, there tend <laughs> to be, be John. which would be me in this particular case. <laughs> Um, but no, there's, there's, for example, on Chris and I's first job, Cosby, they were, um, Norman Steinberg was the showrunner, right. but David Landsberg ran the room okay. and really was, is, is, did the job we would, tr- we would traditionally consider showrunning. 
is being in the room, breaking all the stories, et cetera. While Norman really dealt with all these sort of politics of having a very high-level sitcom on the air and dealing with the talent and, and overall administrative duties. Mm -hmm. uh, also writing, but David was one of the one in the room. Uh, because we're both from a comedy background, we're both, we like the room, and we're both in the room all the time. And break every story and okay. do that. But show running generally tends to be the, you know, you write and you deal with the various and sundry horrible bullshit that comes across the transom. Well, and that kind of leads us into our next question. Do you prefer one of the jobs over the others, or do they each kind of have their pros What created by is done in one script, so that's yeah. a good one. That's, that's yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, yeah, you, you can uh, jump off on that. I like writing. I mean, yeah. it, it's, I, I, you know, I, I went into this to write. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think Chris and I are both happiest when we're, we're in the room breaking story and then when we're off typing. Yeah. You know, I, I enjoy the puzzle system of one-liners and production cycles and okay. talking to the line producer and trying to line scripts up with each other so that they segue cleanly. But it is not, it is certainly when I was telling jokes in bars when I was 25, not the job I anticipated doing. <laughs> yeah. A yeah, little, little different. Yeah, definitely the the writing part of going off alone is uh, um, I I, I prefer being in the room and breaking stories. Number one, number two, going off to write a script, and the producing responsibility certainly a <laughs> distant third. He does. You don't like to rotate objects in three dimensional <laughs> space. That's, we all have our superpowers, and you do it's not. It's not take really that. mine. Yeah. But and, but, and it's a different job on every show. I mean, a lot. Of, we are very lucky in that the editing process here is very relaxed and different, and Dean takes a lot of the editing. Because okay. um, he likes it. And he mm -hmm. likes, I mean, Dean color yeah. corrects a lot of the episodes. That's crazy. You don't have the head of the studio color correcting episodes <laughs> at ABC. Um, uh, you know, other shows, the showrunner is there for every edit. He's giving notes on every single edit. He's giving notes on every single mix. You know, we, we tend to have the writer of the episode be in the room for that and then we just supervise the notes and we just sort of okay. check their work. And some some shows the uh, showrunner is not in the room much. Showrunner no. show no. leaves that responsibility to their number two or their number three uh, and kind of, you know, comes into the room when they've got something to present to mm -hmm. him or her yeah. and then, you know, gives notes on it or throws it out or whatever. I think we're unusual in that we spend the majority of our time on the show. <laughs> Even when you're in the office, you can we're in our office, you can see us through the window <laughs> of the writer's room. There is at no point the writers cannot see us at all, for, at all times. You can't hide. No. no there's no hide. Um, but yeah, there are certainly shows where I know writers who have met their showrunner once. Yeah. On other wow. shows. Yeah. Wow. And I, I have been told a story of a writer who never met his showrunner. Yeah, it's, it really depends on the culture of the show. Yeah. Okay. So when it comes to creating our show, what are some difficulties that arise when you have to walk the line between your more creative writer side and the business-minded producer side? Uh, you know, I mean, you are always aware that you are spending someone else's money, and okay. you should be. Uh, I think that the hardest thing to get a handle on is exactly what is going to cost a lot of money, because it's not always in two <laughs> not what you think it is. It's never uh, what you think it is. We did an episode uh, where we did our uh, Defiant Ones episode uh, and chained... Um, uh, Elliot and Hardison together and set them in the woods and if you're going to do the defined ones you want them to jump on a train that happened to the defined ones and I remember at the time in the room the thought that we could afford a train on, on our basic cable budget mm -hmm. seemed absurd and it was almost <laughs> and it was immediately thrown out and in fact the train was 
pretty cheap. Yes. Uh, the dog that was going to chase them through the woods turned out to be more expensive than, than the train. Than the train. <laughs> than the train. It would have been. It would have been for sure production value. It would have been much more expensive to have them chase a group of dogs than to chase yes. down a train and leap atop it. Why? Uh, because the gentleman who owned the private train, so the, there was a private train line, yeah. a transport line there that agreed to cut us a very, very comfortable deal. And dogs come not just with trainers, but also with very stringent SPCA rules okay. about treatment. And also trained dogs are hard to find. Right. You need a dog to do, you know, do it on the take every time with 100 people staring at them. True. Yeah. Uh, they're like babies. You know, but at least with babies, you get those robot babies now. Oh, those are much better. <laughs> robot babies. So it's good, it's good to strike a balance to not let fear of things that could be expensive inhibit your creative impulses. And <laughs> like, for rare. example, exterior Nazi occupied France. <laughs> Just type that in a slug line and worry about it later. <laughs> but look, it may be the only time I've actually shouted at you when you gave me a script. I was like, I was in the writer's room, we walked I, in and I, I yelled, uh, exterior Nazi occupied <laughs> France. I, 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 we submitted it as exterior French countryside. Looks like Portland. It's a compromise. It was. I said, "How do we portray this?" He went, "I don't know, like a hundred Messerschmitts go overhead." No, we can't afford even digital Messerschmitts. They're expensive. But lo and behold, a there was a t there was a burning tank. There was a burning tank, a digitally inserted and burning we, tank. And we removed the uh, colorfully painted building. To a, to uh, a great degree, to, to, a, to a great degree, I wound up directing that one only because we were afraid to inflict it on other human beings. <laughs> it was very much a folly to that one. That one was Chris and I locked in like a little crazy bubble. <laughs> we're gonna make this. It might kill us. But we're gonna make it. Yeah. Well, in talking about the bubble, what are the different environments you have to work in as you shift between your roles, like the writers' rooms, like on set? Where where do you guys actually work? Um, well, we work, work in our office and in the room mostly, and then you, okay. when you're on set during when you're supervising your episode, uh, or when you're directing, you're up there. Okay. Uh, we prep down here uh, via Skype and via various. I think we use GoToMeeting now. Mm -hmm. We should get money for saying that. Um, <laughs> just check, check, see if we got a big fat GoToMeeting check. Um, you know, we it, it's mostly the writers' room. I mean, and okay. and the oddity of. Electric Entertainment is the writer's room is in an office in the back of the building. So it's very much like, you know, we call that Sweet E. You know, back in Sweet E, that's just, that's writer land. Building A, oh, there's all these production <laughs> stuff over here. It looks very complicated in Building A. But, you know, back there, back there we do okay. And the, uh, I mean, I guess the question is, you know, where the writers work. We're in, mm -hmm. we break the stories here in Los mm -hmm. Angeles. We shoot the episodes in Portland. And the writer who, of that particular episode is on set. So okay. the responsibilities when you're the writer on set, I've heard I heard her described recently as being a fireman. Yes, you're basically <laughs> sitting and waiting for something to catch fire, and then you yeah. leap. I've likened it to playing right field. Yeah, it's kind of similar to they that. They don't need you until they really. They need don't need you until <laughs> there's a you know a shot down the line that yeah. you have to field and nice. and and uh, pivot and keep the guy from scoring. Yeah. So uh, you know you're there to answer questions for you know, continuity and make sure the story tracks logically. And also, you know, when things are falling behind to make decisions on what to cut and mm -hmm. what to, to yeah, keep. It's, it's very easy to pull a page because, you know, you usually shoot out a sequence to go, okay, we don't need this. Mm -hmm. And then three days later realize, oh, we really needed that. Now a big right. chunk of the script doesn't make sense. And that's yeah. what you really, really for me, the most important reason I have the writer on set yeah. is that. Yeah. Your continuity, your yeah. script uh, supervisor will catch it, but they don't have a lot of times the creative solution for it. Mm -hmm. Well, John, you just mentioned directing, and so you've kind of taken this whole multiple job disorder one step one step further. So, how do you kind of and, and certainly <laughs> add uh, comic book uh, online comic book and now that yes. list too? <laughs> yeah. 
So how do you get to it? They plug. Oh, I will. I'll plug it when they do the. the How do you balance all these all these different roles? Well, well, they segregate out. I mean, when I the first two times I directed, I directed other people's scripts. I directed Jeff's and and Chris's, (laughs) and then the last two times I directed, I directed mine. Okay. Um, And so the first two times it was very much just like a director on assignment. And Chris took over. Well, when we shot our when we shot our thing, we shot World War Two. When I shot your script we had to like bulk up the room to make sure okay it's all under control because we're going to both be gone for three weeks right and the room uh it did admirably whilst whilst we were off on that adventure uh by that point we were in year three and uh, uh was it three was it three no, or four, four. that, that was, was four so four we had a lot of people who knew what they were doing mm-hmm. um but uh you you when you go to directing or you go your on on site stuff that is your priority Okay. You know, you're the room stuff hopefully is in someone else's hands at that point. Okay. Um, because directing is, uh, directing and, and even shooting an episode as a writer is all consuming. You know, during prep, you are rewriting constantly to fit new locations, lost locations, physical problems. Hey, we can't get that prop. Wow, we lost that actor. You know, mm-hmm. stuff like that. Uh, it, it's very segregated out. The, the most crossover I've had um, is the showrunner director because I'll, I'll be like both talking to, Paul Bernard, our line producer, about budget and be the dude who's in charge of that next shoot. And it's my budget to break. Um, and writer-director, where I will admit, like I said, the first two times I just shot somebody else's script. Mm-hmm. Writing Boys Night Out, there was a moment I was typing something, and just like, ah, I love this moment. And I suddenly heard in the back of my head, wait, you're going to do a company move? You're going to do a company move from one scene to a location you never go to again. You know you'll never make your night. You'll never make your day. And we were shooting during summer when the nights were short. And writer John went, all right, fine. We won't go there. And I just like wiped that out. And director John's like, thank you. Now maybe our lives won't suck. In my mind now, I'm inside your head. And actually, those two people are fighting with broadswords. They are fighting. They might fight with lightsabers. Uh, yeah, exactly. Director John and, and I see the clank of metal. Well, I think writer John has like a giant pen, and director John has the sword. I'm not sure. Uh, but that is. But once the interesting thing is, once you're directing something you've written, you have to put your writer hat down. And there was certainly times when I was directing, particularly the last one, which was the season opener of season five. I thought I could use another pass at this scene, but it's too late. I prepped it. I'm shooting it. I've got director hat on. I can't slow down. You got to get, you know, just get what you're trying to get as the director. Okay. One well, kind of going into the past now. Um, you've both talked about other jobs you've had, but is this the first time you've worn so many hats, or is juggling something you're used to? Uh, well, I, I I was a journalist and I was a lawyer, and I guess the similarities with what I do now is writing on deadline. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And. Uh, Despair. Uh, <laughs> loneliness, no, loneliness. Loneliness. Despair. Uh, that's just the lawyer part. Uh, writing on deadline and also becoming an instant expert. Both both those jobs, whether it was being a reporter or being a lawyer or, or, or writing for television, involved having to get a lot of knowledge about a, a enough knowledge about a certain subject to be able to write authoritatively or yeah. argue authoritatively about it. Okay. Um, those would be the similarities. In terms of juggling responsibilities, I, I don't know. This, I guess this one has more of a broad range of responsibilities yeah. than those jobs do. Yeah. You just, the, the big thing for me is the physical production stuff. It's stuff that you, know, you never thought you'd have to learn. You, you just want to write and type, <laughs> and there's the dialogue, and suddenly it's like, how much are extras? 
Like, yeah, what's the difference between so I can have 50 extras that day, but 30 extras that day yeah. if I go to a smaller room so it'll look more full, and then you're, yeah. Mm -hmm. you're, well, you're, which is really direct. It's standpoint. like, yeah. how, which directions am I looking in? How yep. much of a set do I need? Yeah, exactly. Um, so as far as juggling, that usually means you're doing a bunch of stuff simultaneously. And like I said, you tend to silo out when you're working. Mm -hmm. uh, the showrunner executive producing, you don't. But that is, that is, I think, you know, the biggest thing there is the creativity of trying to make the biggest show you can and then turning around and being the guy who tries to keep it from all spinning out on you mm -hmm. you know because uh because you want you want to make the biggest best show you can but then you are the dude who has to like look at that line we prepping seven shooting seven and it is physics you don't get an extra day mm -hmm. you don't get an extra hour you just if it doesn't fit in that it doesn't go in you know yeah. you don't make the show so but uh yeah it's i mean Juggling's a weird word because it's all part of the job. Mm -hmm. And kind of, kind of as a follow-up to that question, you're both showrunners, and there's a lot of people working in the entertainment industry who kind of aspire to be showrunners of their own. So can you tell us what your journey was like and what advice you'd give to <laughs> those people? <laughs> it's a necessary question. <laughs> well, okay, so we're drinking in a bar. <laughs> um, no, you know, it no, was... No. We, look, we love it, you with this question. Uh, <laughs> it, no, we look, we put it... Yeah, it's whenever I do like a, a, like the Nerdist panel or something, it's mm -hmm. always, how did you become a showrunner? Well, that's, that story is utterly induplicable. Like, my, <laughs> my experience will at, at no point will one of you listening have a shot at getting <laughs> your own sitcom and then having it flame out and wind up writing, like, spec scripts. And that's just not going to happen because yeah. uh, you were doing stand-up. Um, I started as a performer and became a writer and then hopped back and forth between TV and movies mm -hmm. and did a lot of not show running but hey that guy who's helping run the room jobs on mm -hmm. very short terms and, and yeah, I rose about you know three quarters of the way through the ranks in TV and then started flipping back and forth between TV and movies you did a much more traditional just straight up through the TV mm -hmm. ranks yeah, yeah I mean I worked uh, just working television writer for 15 years so yeah and um, me kind of I started literally the same year as he at the same job but about three or four years in, I started going back and forth between movies and features. Okay. Uh, and then five years ago, you know, really four, but five we did the pilot. Uh, years ago, leverage so for the last five years. Well, our next question is a little more fun. I'm sure you'll. I'm sure you'll be but, more but, excited but about if, this one. But if the question was like, how do people <laughs> become showrunners? It's essentially get a show on the air. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's it. Wow. And and by the way, the the network will often not let you showrun because you okay. don't have the experience, and so they will put a showrunner with you. And you will hopefully learn from them. Makes and sense. then they will leave, and then you will take over. Yes. Or that you will eventually be forced out of your own show. Yes. Uh, and then, but, <laughs> nicely enough, you then get mailbox money while somebody else has to put up with all the bullshit of keeping your show on the air. It's not the worst thing in the world. Right. Especially if Roseanne Barr fires you. Yes. That's really, that's good mailbox money. If Brett Butler throws a Coke at your head. Yep. That's, yeah. There you go. Well, following up on all that, if if you guys could be the creator and showrunner of any type of series, no constraints, what type of show would that be? This is leverage. I mean, really. <laughs> I, know, seriously, I was going to say, know. this is going to sound really <laughs> stupid. I know. But, but we love the show. You know, I mean. It's the best answer. It, you know, it's, we never thought the show was going to go. This no, literally was cooked up like on a whim while we were drinking in my garage. Yeah. You know, this was the, sort of an accident where I had lunch with Dean and Dean said, let's do a team show. And he and I had had drinks and talked about high stuff. So it was, it, it was, it was not this cold calculated marketing thing of like, no. how can we get a job? It was like, you know, it'd be cool to do. 
and then they let us do it. I know. How it, awesome this, is this, that? this sounds like BS. It's not. Yeah. We really do love the show. Yeah. And I can't really think of anything else. I'd you know, I look at big stuff like Game of Thrones and go, it would be great to be part of that train. But I also know, know the hellacious life every human who runs that show must live. There's no, you know, I, I have talked to and met guys who work on like Lord of the Rings and Hobbit and those mm-hmm. big giant productions. And they're just, you have no life. Yeah. And I like, I mean, we're out of five. Yeah. They have dragons. Shh. They do. <laughs> Shh. Don't tell people. We get it at eight thirty. We do. We do. I get it at eight because I live. I live seven minutes away. than most. Right. Yeah. Well, and for our last question, um, you guys are showrunners, producers, creators, directors, writers. Is there one role that you haven't covered yet that you wish you could? Well, you've done it all. I mean, and, and yeah. again, comic book, uh, online comic yeah. book yeah, sorry. Exactly. <laughs> if uh, I can throw that www.thrillbent.com is the new online comic book thing that I'm doing with Mark Wade. It's got Mark Wade's title up now, but it'll have mine. New uh, Magic Comes Back to the World title starting in June <laughs> awesome. uh, awesome. called Arcanum, but his is insufferable and it's, it's great. It's our, new, it's our new attempt at doing digital comics that don't just look like comic books that were scanned. Um, Wow, uh, I like that. That's the stuff I like. I like like new media stuff. Yeah. Like, uh, there's no job for the stuff I like to screw around with. There's just kind of like the corner of the world, like digital comics. I like screwing around. We spent three years researching all the stuff, the way to make that work. Um, I like distribution models mm-hmm. and discussing the economics of television and stuff, but that's not a job for me. That's a job for some dude yeah, who spent yeah, twenty yeah. years doing it. Yeah. Uh, this I, is going to sound like BS too, but I've enjoyed doing this podcast so much, and I've been talking about doing a podcast. <laughs> I'm going to proto promote a podcast that I'm really? doing in the not too distant future. What is what's going to be about? I enjoyed this. You know the stuff that I'm interested in, movie tropes and white not male going, malaise. Not going east of Sepulveda. <laughs> yes, my fear of the <laughs> outside world. Your fear world. of the outside world. Yeah. Can we do a se- Can we do a, a sequence which is much like our actual lives in the room, where I bring you one terrifying fact a week sure. that ruins your week? Like, sure. I have lost count of the number of times over the last five years I've heard you say, "Why would you tell me that?" I think it happened yesterday. It happened yesterday. Didn't you? What was the bit? Something yeah, some horrible the, thing. Some uh, the, the the surprising number of cancers caused by routine infection. Yes. Oh my god. Yes. And he's like, "Why would you?" I'm like, "Ah, you know, you never." It's a it's an interesting thing to have in your head. It sounds like something you need to know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> See, but this is the thing that now now you guys are so successful at this, you're going to have people like raining out of the sky to have you produce the podcast. No is there a gig? You can probably get a gig doing that. Yeah, get a cut. Yeah, a little something there. Yeah, that would be cool. That, that would be cool. That's that'd be a lot of fun. There's that's I think what's exciting is the fact that you have all these different ways to talk to humans who are fans mm-hmm. of television, not just your show. Yep. Yeah. Well, I think that wraps us up for this week. Thank you guys for letting us peek inside your brains, and thank you to our listeners again for tuning in. And we will catch you in a couple weeks. And don't forget, you can always get your leverage fixed by downloading all your favorite episodes on iTunes. Thanks again, Grifters.